Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you're listening to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information to normalize cannabis through the stories of entrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, we're joined by Ben Ward. He's the CEO of Marican. How are you doing this morning, Ben? It's great to have you on the show. Uh, you have a lot of stuff going on, uh, but before we get into all of that, that great, that the, that great news, uh, let's let's talk about you. What's your background, and how did you end up in the cannabis space? Yeah, my background is working in international development and infrastructure projects, and uh, then I worked for a family office. A group of Canadians and uh, built out projects on their behalf. And one of the things that we looked at investing in uh, in the early stage, much before Colorado legalization, uh, was the cannabis market. And then made some real estate investments in different uh, U.S. states uh, based on uh, cannabis opportunities and the cash flow that existed from them. And uh, then learned a lot about the industry uh, from those opportunities. And then uh, Decided to get uh, fully involved and moved ahead and got full time uh, in the cannabis industry. So it, it, here in the U.S., there's there's a hodgepodge of uh, you know cannabis uh, laws depending on where you are. Um, in Canada, it's it's medical marijuana right now is federally legal. So so what, what I'd like you to do is is can you tell us how the creating a cannabis cannabis business works in Canada? Sure. Um, you have to apply to the federal government to Health Canada for a license to produce and distribute cannabis. And then uh, that process is quite rigorous. There are over 2,000 applications that have gone in and only 51 have been granted. Um, so there's quite a few barriers to entry. You have to first build your complete facility, have to install all of the requisite security uh, plan for that. You have to install all of the fertigation systems, um, grow area, uh, all of everything from the cloning process all the way through has to be specified in SOPs. You have to show how that's compliant um, with Health Canada regulations, and then all the way through to your drying and extraction process for oil. So um, you basically have to build it, and they will come with the hope that uh, with the hope that the uh, government will license you. So American was the 256th applicant in 2013 for a license from Health Canada and received its license to cultivate in March of 2014 and has been operating since with a cultivation and distribution license. And then uh, we've been operating with our extraction and uh, distribution of extracts license September of 2016. So uh, not all licenses are created the same. Getting involved to be a cultivator and a distributor uh, is quite intense and requires a lot of specialty uh, staff, qualified persons, individuals with scientific background because we treat it like a pharmaceutical product. It has to be grown as medicine and treated as medicine right from the very beginning. And, and going through, and, and you know, I took a look at your staff. You you have a very versatile and experienced executive staff over there. Um, what do you look for with regard to talent, and and what's the most important attribute for you as a CEO looking for this talent? Well, it really all depends on what area we're looking for. Um, when we're looking for sales and marketing, we've looked for the nutraceutical world. There are a lot of parallels there from when the nutraceutical world was starting uh, to become popular thirty years ago. 
Um, in that space, you had uh, everyone thought that nutraceuticals were snake oil. They weren't uh, required. You could get everything you needed from eating food, which is true. But uh, if you're not getting everything you need from uh, eating all the right foods, nutraceuticals can help. So you had physicians who uh, didn't recommend uh, taking things like vitamin C or other things like that. Now, 98% of new, uh, physicians take a nutraceutical every day. So there's a lot of parallels, how to penetrate the market, a lot of experience from that. And we're focused on, uh, improving people's health and wellness. So we look at parallels from the marketing side for that. Um, when we look at the formulation side, we're going to, to the pharmaceutical world. We hired our, uh, director of operations, uh, for our Langton site, our main cultivation area from Apotex, a large generic pharmaceutical producer, and then our qualified person who's a PhD in Germany, Thomas Klump. His uh, background was running the Bitterfeld facility for Bayer, where they made 9 billion capsules a year. So it depends on the area of the business where we're looking, but we can pull and draw talent from a lot of great existing uh a lot of great existing talent from different industries that have parallels to the cannabis industry. So for cultivation, we went to Colorado to Midwest ranch where they produce, um, where they produce cannabis, uh, in a large greenhouse grow operation. And we brought in, uh, Jeff Ayotte and Jen Ayotte who worked there and, um, got them to put their uh, experience over five years there to work here. And it just, uh, it's a matter of having to have relationships in a lot of different areas and draw and pull talent from uh, people who have applicable skill sets. So there's no real one, uh, one, one uh, solution fits all. So when you're finding people outside of the cannabis space, uh, as you had mentioned, you know, ph uh, pharmaceutical firms, what, what is their sort of uh, initial reaction to entering the space? Do you, do you, is there hesitation on, on their part because it's cannabis? Uh, definitely. Um, when you look at our founding group, um, Neil Tabatsnik and Raymond Stone, two of our directors, and Eric Silver, who's a physician, um, going from the pharmaceutical space and medical supply business where they had been successful in the past uh, and our COO, uh, Terry Fretz, um, who had run uh, two large pharmaceutical businesses into cannabis, there's, there was a hesitation um, of do I really want to be involved in cannabis um, from it? Um, is this something that my grandkids would want me to be involved in? Um, how is this perceived socially? Um, so all of the people we have on board don't have an issue with it, but we've, I've gone through the process of interviewing individuals, uh, specifically in Canada and Germany who would, uh, have fit really well, but because it's cannabis, when the job offer went out, they just couldn't get, couldn't get past it and couldn't move there. So, um, We've, we've been disappointed by some individuals who don't want the stigma attached to themselves, but at the same time, um, as an ethical and uh, ethical business, people that we do business with and people who are involved in the organization may be proud of what we do and say that this improves people's lives and there's an opportunity for us to work at a brand new industry that's expanding globally and it's an exciting time. 
So in, in our last interview, uh, we were discussing Germany for a, for a print piece. Uh, you and I briefly discussed green technologies that you employ, uh, specifically a concession road site uh, that you guys operate. Netted you guys a $4.5 million grant for expansion on that project. Um, can you tell me about the green technology methods that you employ and, and how this was appealing enough to, to get you such a huge grant? Yeah, um, there are standard grants in the province of Ontario and Canada that apply for energy efficiency and rebates. So what we're doing is we're taking four, uh, we're taking four, uh, taking one nat- one natural gas source and turning it into four different forms of energy, and we create all of our CO two through that, all of our uh, required heat, and we create all of our electricity through natural gas cogen. So that gave us a great efficiency rating where the facility is actually 97.5% energy efficient. We're working with Rockwell Automation uh, with Johnson Controls and Rockwell Automation, uh, another group uh, based in Cleveland, very conservative company traditionally. Um, We have $3 million of automation we're putting into our facility. And uh, the CEO of the company said, we'd be proud to work with Maricana to publicly disclose that. Um, because we're an ethical company and we're not going to be ashamed of the people that we work with. So we won't just take your money and say that we uh, don't have a relationship with you and not support uh, the end system like you see with a lot of groups working in the U.S. because they're afraid of the federal uh, prosecution um, possibilities. So um, working with Rockwell gives us a... uh, access to their main systems that we're incorporating and the automation systems that make us energy efficient, uh, operationally efficient, and we have high performance new manufacturing credits uh, from the province of Ontario as well. So the rebate total, once we're fully done, the upfront field portion is 4.5 million. Over five years, the government will give us back $14.2 million because of energy efficiency. So if we look at a total 27 million, we're paying for our whole operation of 217,000 square feet with the uh with a natural gas cogen in place um all of the automation uh boiler systems expansion and all of the upfront investment uh provides the uh required site services for the next 600,000 square feet of expansion so when we look at that number over 50 percent of our whole project is rebated by the province because we're energy efficient. So capturing our own rainwater on the roof, taking that into cisterns, uh, filtering that, and then using that for our ebb and flood system rather than just pulling from groundwater. Uh, that's incredibly efficient. So every every optimization and efficiency that we could possibly put in place, we've done, including our uh, glass system from Havicon in the, in the Netherlands and uh, the uh, all of the automation from Rockwell. That's really incredible. Um, here in the states, you know, California, as they're rolling out their recreational market, they're mandated to uh, they're mandated to use a certain amount of water, not use too much water, uh, depending on where the rules land. Uh, they're still working those out, but but in the uh, the initiative approved by voters, water usage was a big thing. As you might know, California, you know, goes through droughts. Um, so conservation doesn't sound like something that was mandated in Canada. Um, so as a CEO, why was it important to you to ensure that you incorporated clean and green tech into your expansion in your buildings? 
Well, I mean, it's the it's the dirty secret about the green industry is that it really isn't that green. Um, the number one input for most uh, cultivation operations, especially indoor, is electricity. So you're burning a lot of electricity. It gives you a long tailpipe. And then water, the amount of water that's used and not recycled by most groups um, is significant. And you create wastewater because all the nutrients that are in the water can't be, um, for most groups, they don't recycle them. They just flush them and then they end up in the sewer system or in a uh, becoming groundwater contamination um, as a future possibility. And then your third highest input um, cost is usually labor. Um, so your first two inputs are uh, not beneficial to the environment. So the main, uh, main uh, person responsible and credited with the uh, green initiative for us is Jeff Ayotte, and he built it Mid Midwest Ranch in Colorado down near the New Mexico border in a little town called Boone. And um, what they did, the groundwater and the water rights were more expensive. Uh, the, the water was uh, more costly than cannabis. So they put together a system of water conservation, recirculation, collection. So we took his learning, his experience, and put that into play in our operation in Langton because we were looking for a green solution so that we weren't uh, guilty of being uh, uh, uh one of the culprits of creating green medicine, but not being good for the environment. So what Jeff did in uh, Colorado and part by, partly because he was forced was uh, got every single uh, efficiency out of the operation for energy and every single uh, efficiency out of uh, his wa out of water in his operation. So we took that learning and incorporated into our facility in Canada. And then his experience in working with Johnson Controls and Rockwell Automation gave us the opportunity to put all of the systems in place and do it right for the first time. So from Jeff taking everything he owned and putting into Midwest five years ago and stubbing his toe all along the way, having a paid education there, then taking that learning as he's now sold that uh, operation to Mahatma and bringing it to uh, his learning to Canada has been incredibly beneficial for us. So uh, that was based on my experience in investing in the cannabis world, uh, being introduced to the right people and knowing who we wanted to bring in back to where do you source and find talent in the cannabis world? Everybody will tell you they're a grower. Everybody's will tell you they've, uh, put together a shiny little Christmas tree with trichomes and, uh, something that could win a cannabis cup. But when you go to it and you meet the people who really have developed the cannabis cup award winning strains, the people who are the real volume operators, uh, from a cultivation side, it becomes really Lean Six Sigma operations where uh, individuals have figured out how to get the most and the best out of the plant, but at the same time, how to be energy efficient, green, and consistent with, uh, with a philosophy of improving the world and uh, improving people's wellness, but uh, not harming the planet at the same time. Well, I really want to applaud your efforts uh, for incorporating green and clean technologies. Um, we got to take a quick break. This is the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandfall. This episode of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast is made possible by Name.com, a global provider of domain name, web hosting, and email services. Every successful cannabis business needs an online presence. And every successful online presence begins with a domain. 
From your website to your email address, a good domain is easy for your customers to remember, it looks nice on a business card or billboard, and it reflects the true identity of the project it represents. It's important to reserve your domain early on when you are starting your business, as you may find that the .com address for your preferred brand or concept has already been taken. If somebody has already purchased the ideal .com for your business, they might be willing to sell it. But if they aren't, you may have to get creative with one of the new alternate domain extensions, such as .co, .club, .shop, or even .farm. Reserve your domain name today at name.com slash gonjapreneur. If you are a domain name investor or venture capital firm interested in acquiring or advertising premium cannabis domains, go to the Gondrepreneur domain market to browse a wide variety of names, including strains.com, cannabismedia.com, mj.com, and countless others. Discover branding opportunities for your next startup and learn about listing your premium domain names for sale at gondrepreneur.com slash domains, sponsored by name.com. Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Ben Ward, CEN American. Um, so in, in some interviews uh, that I've read with you, you you've also often mentioned whole plant medicine and referred to two lesser known cannabinoids, the CBG and CBN. Um, there, there, there's not a whole lot of discussion on these. Uh, we, you know, we're all pretty familiar with CBD, obviously THC. Um, what has your company found with regard to these two compounds, CBG and CBN? Yeah, what we've really found is that with um, CBN specifically, it and I, I will say and be very clear that there is no clinical evidence at present. We haven't done the research, which is one of the things our company is engaged in is actually completing meaningful research, doing the pharmacokinetic profiles, getting the baselines um, and understanding um, where we're at from a starting point from cannabis and then moving through and bench to clinic research um, and sponsoring that. But with CB with CBN, um, you have a muscle relaxant effect. So we look at um, CBD and talk about its effects and um, what we know of it in retrospective analysis and being able to calm spasticity um, and relax muscles and to slow um, and when we look uh, to slow possible um, seizures and. Um, everyone's been focused on CBD as the miracle drug. Um, when we look at whole plant, what I'm talking about is taking all of the benefits of the plant, uh, finessing off and taking fractions of the, um, so we preserve the flavonoid and terpene profile of the plant, and then extracting the different cannabinoids and taking those individually through thin film distillation, then combining those back together in the ratios that we'd like to have that we believe or could be effective um, uh, for treating different symptoms that people have. So CBN and CBG um, haven't been proliferated within the plant um, in strain development. People have been focused on THC. People have been focused uh, from genetic development on CBD. Um, you see uh, the CBD industry and medical uh, uh, hemp industry has produced some great strains in genetics. But um, what we're seeing through CBN is a great muscle relaxant effect. Um, and that in combination with CBD and uh, working in the endocannabinoid system 
can help to keep the body balanced. So individuals who suffer from, um, from uh, muscle spasticity and chronic pain and fibromyalgia, CBN is showing to be extremely effective um, to help uh, people managing their pain. And you need to take the whole plant. You can't just take CBD pills and expect that it's going to, um, that that alone is going to be uh, effective. When people take CBD capsules, um, it, you're really just taking something that isn't water soluble, um, isn't able to be dispersed in the stomach or the uh, intestinal lining. You're not absorbing it. It goes through and then it's metabolized in your liver. Uh, first pass metabolism uh, isn't the ideal way to absorb medicine. Um, if you're uh, doing that, you're destroying 85% of the cannabinoids and just creating really expensive urine. <laughs> so what uh, we're focused on is actual absorption, bioavailability of the plant. Um, a lot of people will talk about bioavailability um, and its importance. We see that in the nutraceutical world, which is why I made a parallel to that earlier. So that we, we've gone and sourced a technology from the nutraceutical world that's patented by a group in Switzerland that helps to take um, cannabinoids, which are only usually lipid, which are only lipid soluble, uh, and have to when you uh, ingest uh, cannabis, as we've experienced, um, uh, you end up with an edible that has a stacking effect because it goes through first pass in your liver. It takes 45 minutes to an hour and a half to onset, and that's where you usually have most of the problem with people greening out or having other uh, issues from that. When, with our technology that we have that's uh, globally patented and we have the rights for cannabis for and hemp globally, you are, uh, the product is, uh, the cannabinoids are suspended in an emulsion. Um, they can be ingested in capsule form or functional beverage. Um, the applications are endless or in edibles. And then they disperse in the stomach and be, can be absorbed in the stomach and the in, intestine. So your onset's within 5 to 15 minutes and you get 80 to 85% of the cannabinoids absorbed. So when we talk about whole plant extract, it's taking the whole plant, um, taking the terpenes, the flavonoids, more than just THC and CBD or one or the other and getting really the synergistic and synchronistic effects of the whole plant. And that's what gives you the, uh, the wellness uh, opportunity and benefit uh, instead of just taking one isolate and expecting that to be the magic cure. It's that's, that's, you know, far more advanced than a lot of what we hear uh, here in the States. Um, do you credit that at all, you know, the advancements that you've made uh, to the little more welcoming research community in Canada? Um, yeah, I, I, I credit it to four years of legalization. I mean, um, Colorado was the absolute epicenter of cannabis um, four years ago, and um, our scientific director uh, worked in Colorado, and he decided to come to Canada because he can do all the research that he needs. And then that opened the world to, wow, well, here's an opportunity. Here's what these people are doing in Switzerland. Here's what these people are doing in Germany. And then you pull together from the international space, and then you then what we did is took technology from the nutraceutical world, from the pharmaceutical world, and then paired it with what we know about cannabis. And when you merge those two together, um, then you have an opportunity to take existing delivery systems, things that people are comfortable with, that physicians, 
that pharmacists, that people in general as patients uh, are comfortable taking. So when you have a capsule that can have an onset effect and help to reduce chronic pain, that has an onset in five minutes or 10 minutes and isn't a gummy bear or something that has other effects on your health uh, and will stack in your liver. Um, it's just taking those advances globally from other industries and quite frankly, from technology that big pharma uses and applying it to the cannabis world. So I'm, I'm excited about taking the best of uh, the best in class opportunities and moving them into cannabis. And I think you'll start to see these roll out in the U.S. as well uh, as the market develops, as the market becomes more mature. And it'll move away from being um, pre-rolls uh, and other things like that into things that people take as everyday medicine or things to improve their lives. Uh, I think that the discussion about inhalation um, will start to de- uh, will start to decrease and we'll see people who are that we've seen our average uh customer patient is 55 years old plus female and suffers from fibromyalgia or chronic pain um those are people who aren't familiar with cannabis as i wasn't um when i started after a car accident uh 10 years ago and um uh, if they can have a traditional delivery method instead of having to inhale um it's much more approachable for them so you had mentioned Germany, and I want to discuss uh, that in, in, in a bit more detail. But before we do that, we got to take a short break. This is Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.J. Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of cannabis, which is when a mainstream business whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gontrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis-friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gontrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com slash businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Ben Ward, CEO of American. Um, before the break, you had mentioned Germany. Um, you, I had written a you know 
couple thousand words about your guys' entrance into Germany. Um, just just for people who may not have read that piece or, or you know, may just be hearing about, you know, Germany's federal medical cannabis legalization um, for the first time, why did you choose Germany to expand? Um, I was over there three and a half years ago and worked with a group in Munich for quite a long period of time. Uh, in another uh, related business. And um, this article started coming out. You started to see the front of the newspaper uh, talking about cannabis. Uh, activism was moving ahead. Individuals were interested. There was a groundswell of support for it. Um, so what I looked to do is to secure a facility that would be um, ideal for cannabis cultivation um, and uh, would be a great place that we could uh, complete extraction and do pharmaceutical formulations of uh, cannabis. So one of the groups that I worked with there, the company is called Zollner, Z-O-L-L-N-E-R. They're one of the world's largest manufacturers of electronic uh, components for the automotive industry. And their head of facilities globally is a great friend. Um, they operate in uh, five continents. And uh, I said, showed him what I was looking for, what we were uh, doing in Canada. And he said, well, I have a perfect facility for you. Why don't you fly to Dresden and see it? So I flew over there and looked at the facility, um, put a down payment on it personally, and then uh, ended up purchasing the facility. So uh, I saw three and a half years ago where Germany was going and uh, the plant was a formal Cargill, former Cargill operation, was built at their cost of 80 million euros 20 years ago. And uh, I was able to pick it up for 3.4 million euros because of the uniqueness of the facility. It couldn't be used for warehousing or anything else or logistics. So it's perfect for cultivating cannabis. So wrapped it up. And then, I mean, people made fun of me. They called me the sausage king. That used to be the sausage factory. <laughs> used to make a lot of canned meat there. So I was a butt of a lot of jokes. And at most conferences, uh, people would snicker and laugh at me. Um, but then when Germany legalized medicinal cannabis in January of this year, all of a sudden the phone calls started coming in and everybody's trying to buy it or partner. Um, so, uh, <laughs> So, some, I mean, not every risk that you take in life works out, but that was a, a big risk personally that I took. And um, my my wife said, well, she would have liked a summer home rather than a sausage factory in Dresden. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it ended up uh, working out for us. So we uh, so we went got, we've gone through the process. We've outfitted seventy five thousand square feet for research of genetics to really dial in. Um, what we'll be able to produce there and move ahead in cultivation. So um, the cost to outfit that whole uh, area, 75,000 square feet, was only 940,000 euros. So um, what was a, what was something that was a laughing stock three and a half years ago now has worked out pretty well. So how similar are the, the German rules compared to uh, the Canadian rules? The German rules are uh, somewhat similar to the Canadian rules, but more... Uh, even more strict, more restrictive. You have to cultivate indoors. Um, you're not allowed to cultivate in a greenhouse. Um, so uh, the security plan is more restrictive. Uh, but where I think that the German system really uh, won and moved ahead is on the distribution side. In Canada, we have to distribute direct to patients. We're not allowed to distribute through pharmacies. So individuals go to their physician, then they're referred to a cannabis clinic in Canada. 
and then they have to get their prescription, then register directly uh, with a licensed producer like Maricam. And then uh, they have to go through the um, re registration process, fulfill their order, and then they get shipped to their home. That may sound easy and simple, but people are creatures of habit. Um, they want their order fulfillment in the same day. They go to the physician, they want their medicine because they went to the doctor because they have a problem. So in Germany, what they did is they're distributing through pharmacy. So they can go to their physician, they can get their uh, prescription, they can go to their pharmacy, they call their insurance company beforehand. Cannabis is covered as a uh, complementary therapy in Germany under 26 of the 28 uh, insurance pro uh, companies there. And then they pick up their product from their uh, from their pharmacy. So they made it easy and accessible for people. There's no special store you have to go to for cannabis. Cannabis is normal medicine. And I think that's really important for where we're going uh, in the future, involving pharmacists and just seeing as can cannabis, not as this taboo, um, taboo product that has all of these questions about it. It's medicine. It helps people increase their life. And whether it's someone who's in palliative care, someone in end-stage cancer, someone suffering with chronic pain, or if we move over to the lifestyle um, where people are using it to de-stress uh, or other things like that, um, I just think the normalization of cannabis and destigmatization of it's important. I think Germany really um, got it right in treating it as regular medicine. And, and we we read a lot about the the tender process which you had to go through. Um, and are you still going through that? And can you explain what that tender process is in Germany? Yeah, we're still going through the tender process in Germany. It's a submission by um, groups with experience um, for qualification to bid to supply uh, the Bundesopiumstelle, which is their can um, uh, the head of their cannabis ag uh, agency, uh, with product um, on a wholesale basis. Um, so that's one of the aspects of what they're doing in Germany. And then um, currently there's an import market um, to groups with narcotics wholesale licenses, and that's how the product's being distributed. Um, so that market is moving ahead uh, quite rapidly as well. And are they allowing uh, are they allowing flour there, or or is it just oils? You know, what products are going to be available in Germany's medical cannabis market? Yeah, right now, they have drabinol, which is produced by um, uh, by Bionorica, uh, uh, herbal plants uh, manufacturer. Um, that's provided to patients at their pharmacies. It's a, a plant extract. And uh, it's quite restricted, but it's uh, it's it's an extract that people use uh, to deal with um, chronic pain uh, or to increase appetite. Uh, and then you have uh, then you have flour, which is distributed. Right now, most uh, most of the market is uh, is flour being distributed to pharmacies, and then the pharmacist will take that, compound it, and make it into products for uh, patients. So. Um, there's more involvement rather than just dispensing the uh, product to the patient. The pharmacist compounds and makes it into formulations for the patient. So switching gears a little bit, your, your home base of Canada uh, is still considering legalizing cannabis for adults. The, the federal legislation has been introduced, but it has been sort of subject to a lot of debate. Um, do you think that this will affect medical cannabis companies and and how? Um, well, there's a license to produce cannabis in Canada, 
You have to, um, much like your FDA, if you're going to produce something that's going to be ingested into someone's body, you have to pass the uh, the FDA, whether it's food, um, drugs, or anything else like that for ingestion, you have to follow their protocols. In Canada, we have Health Canada, uh, our FDA equivalent. And so if you're producing cannabis and going to distribute that, you have to pass Health Canada's uh, tests and be licensed by them. So um, for us, we'll be participating in the lifestyle market. Um, and the government has mandated that it will be, uh, that it will be, uh, that it'll move ahead next July. And there are a lot of unknowns about the product uh, that we'll be able to supply to that market, distribution. Every province is going to be able to do their own distribution. Um, we're, we were asked to consult with the Attorney General uh, of the province of Ontario to assist in the process for uh, distribution. So there's a lot of unknowns in place, but we know that the government, which is a majority, um, so if you have in the U.S. the equivalent of having um, the House, the Senate, and the President all from the same party, and this is one of their key initiatives, you know it's going to be driven through. Um, we have a majority government in Canada at the federal level right now of the Liberal government. This is one of their key initiatives to deliver on, and they will be delivering for next July. Uh, Do you anticipate there may be a separation of medical cannabis and recreational products? Yeah, so what this means for the medical cannabis market um, is we believe that the product will be distributed through pharmacy. Um, so traditional formats, capsule, tincture, uh, topicals, um, eventually looking to a transdermal patch, um, used in hospitals. Um, this is where we see the medical aspect of the market going. And um, the lifestyle market is projected to be about two-thirds of the market, the medical to be about a third. And as we see more companies covering their employees under their health and benefits programs for medicinal cannabis, we think that the market will grow to be much larger. Um, when we look at accident uh, benefit plans um, from people who have been involved in motor uh, vehicle accidents now being covered under their accident benefits, um, it's, a, it's a big market and we see cannabis as medicine. So um, whether someone's using cannabis to enhance their life um, in what we call the recreational market or using it to treat a chronic condition in the medical market, we'll be able to be in both uh, areas of the business. And you had said that, that you had uh, you had a, you were consulting with uh, the attorney general. I think I believe you said. Um, what role do you think that that existing operators should have in the crafting of these lifestyle or recreational regulations in Canada? Um, I think we can provide guidance on safety. Um, I think that the government is looking at this. They've done their research. But they're looking at different methods of ingestion, what products to move ahead with. So uh, obviously, we're pushing for all products that you have in the U.S. to be allowed in Canada. Um, we don't know whether we'll get there. Uh, but uh, we we've already have the existing research from Colorado, California, and every other um, state where cannabis is present as to what people's preferences are, what they want. I mean, vape is a huge part of the market in the U.S. And currently in Canada, we don't have the allowance or permission to provide vape uh, products to people who are vaping oil. Um, and so the existing gray market supplies that to people, but then they cut it with propylene glycol, 
other things that are harmful to you. So you have people getting high from PG uh, and inhaling that rather than getting high from taking uh, THC and uh, having potential uh, adverse uh, health uh, harm. So where we're looking at it is how do we introduce safe products into the market? How do we encourage the government to allow all of the products and then create those responsibly and deliver them to the market in a safe way. So the products are safe. There's proper guidance around ingestion. So you don't have people taking um, 20 grams of dry flour home, making their butter, ending up with an inconsistent product in their one tray of brownies at the one end and having a green out and sleeping for two days. It's just, <laughs> let's, make it a, let's make it a normal, approachable product that people have already told us what the best way that they want to ingest it is, and let's supply that to them. So that's where we can help with the government. So, and, and finally, you, you know, what, what advice do you have for entrepreneurs? I mean, you, you saw Germany's market, you know, evolving, getting ready three and a half years ago. Um, so, so obviously, you know, you, you see things a little bit differently than a lot of your counterparts. So, so you know, what, what can they learn from you? What advice do you, would you have for other people looking to enter this space? Yeah, don't be afraid to fail. Um, it's, uh, it's risky. It's a new, it's a nascent industry. Um, not everything you do in life is going to be successful. Uh, take a risk, do something completely different than the rest because everybody's tracking and following. Once somebody's successful, everybody else plows in large capital comes into play. And, um, then it's a matter of improving and optimizing business. The true entrepreneur is willing to take risks and go out there and do something a little different that may seem odd to people when they first start. Um, and isn't afraid to fail. That's, that's the best advice that I can give is if you're not, if you're not ready to fail, then you're not an entrepreneur. So when your wife says that she wants a hum summer home, buy it, buy a sausage factory and, uh, <laughs> for a little unhappiness <laughs> well Ben man I, I really want to thank you uh, for your time this morning I know you're a busy guy in Canada and in Germany um, you know the, you, you really have a lot of insight into the industry and I hope that you know as, as you get the ball rolling in Germany that we can have you uh, have you on the show again to really get into the details of, of that project well, thanks a lot. I really appreciate your time. And Germany is just the start. There's a lot of other countries that are all moving above ground now. Cannabis is becoming mainstream in some of the most conservative countries in the world. And th thanks, thanks for leading the charge over there, man, and, and for being so open about it. You know, it's, it's sometimes tough for us to find people uh, who are operating internationally to uh, appear on the show. So, again, thank you so much for your time. Great. Thanks. Take care. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Sebastiano. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfall. Gontrepreneur.com.